Social media platforms are introducing new rules to fight disinformation. For instance, from now on, when a verified email from Hunter Biden reveals that Hunter was receiving money from Chinese communist tyrants and then sleeping with underage prostitutes while simultaneously stuffing bills of large denominations into Joe Biden's pockets while Joe was still vice president, Twitter will automatically translate the text of the email into Russian to indicate that this is disinformation and therefore incomprehensible to anyone who can't read the Cyrillic alphabet. Likewise, if a new video comes to light showing Joe Biden walking around in circles, singing Show Me the Way to Go Home while wearing a paper hat with the words Tippecanoe and Tyler 2 scrawled on it in blue crayon, Facebook will helpfully replace that video with a video of Brian Stelter walking around in circles, making up reasonable explanations for why Joe Biden was walking around in circles. From now on, when you search for the words, Joe Biden is corrupt and has dementia, Google will reply by telling you the chief export of Bolivia, which is tin, or possibly the population of Venezuela, which is also tin since all the real people starve to death because of socialism. When you search for the word socialism, Google will reply with a picture of happy children laughing in a beautiful green field, also made of tin. Finally, if by some extraordinary effort of will you drive down to the newsstand and buy a copy of a printed newspaper from 1988 and thus manage to discover that Joe Biden has always been corrupt and indeed so stupid that the difference between his normal state and dementia is almost impossible to discern, Jack Dorsey will come to your house in person and wrestle the paper out of your hands, screaming, stop reading this so we can have globalism and I can get even richer than I am while you starve. After the election next Tuesday, everything will, of course, return to normal. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. All right, we are back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic, which is now only a week away, I think. <laughs> at least, you know, at least we can have the laughs while we can. Go on YouTube, the Andrew Claven channel on YouTube, and subscribe if you want to get my content. If you ring that bell, you will get a notification of that content uh, from me. I will actually, you will open your refrigerator and I'll be inside and tell you that there's new content, whereupon you can go back to YouTube. It's kind of a sloppy, you know, unnecessary system, but we enjoy it. Uh, also, leave a comment. And if your comment is ignorant, racist, cruel, uh, divisive, we'll include it because it'll just blend in with the rest of the show. Today's comment is from Silas Ash. It's <laughs> it says, if you haven't been incarcerated by Joe Biden's 94 crime bill, you ain't, you ain't black. black. <laughs> That's our, all right. Fact check. True. Uh, I've often made the point that while capitalism is a wonderful economic system, it's not sufficient for the government of soci governance of society, especially if you happen to be living in one of those societies filled with human beings. Well, let's face it, suck. No system can overcome the brokenness of sinful man for the simple reason that it's in the nature of every system to see the world entirely in the context of itself. Take science. Science is a brilliant method for understanding material reality. But because it only deals with material reality, scientists often come to believe that all reality is material, which is nonsense. 
Likewise, capitalism uses human greed to power economics for the common good, and so it comes to believe that greed is good, which is also nonsense. Greed is a sin. It remains a sin even when it's harnessed to the engine of capitalism. If you need proof of this, you only need to look at capitalist successes that have arisen by evil means, like railroads, harvesting cotton, manufacturing iPhones by the use of slave labor, or the big money made in porn. That's a successful capitalism. Capitalism can't work well unless it is controlled by what we'll call Christian values, because they're Christian values. The latest example of the failure of capitalism is the commitment of huge, profitable, and useful corporations to destroying the America in which they were created and in which they thrive. Zillionaire American athletes were forced to bow to China, but allowed to simultaneously moon the American flag because their bosses wanted the Chinese profits and didn't think America would abandon them, so they thought they could virtue signal at will. Amazon and Netflix support a Marxist Black Lives Matter movement that would destroy them because they fear boycotts and they also want a virtue signal and they don't really believe Marxists have the power to take their billions away and they don't believe you'll boycott them. And of course, corporate news and social media proudly is hiding the news. They're hiding the news about Hunter Biden's corruption. They're hiding the news about peace in the Middle East. And they're hiding the news about riots in American cities because big government and globalism will help the corporations that own the news business. And they fear that Trump might be crazy enough just to mess that up for them by, for instance, putting restrictions on Chinese trade. And of course, once they've alienated all the conservatives, Right. Once the news media has alienated all the conservatives, they have to keep selling leftism to keep their audience and make the bucks. I'm a capitalist from the tips of my toes all the way up to right above my belly button. But above that, in my heart and mind, I am a Christian. Capitalists make money by selling what will sell. A Christian should fight for a culture of freedom and righteousness, whether it makes money or not. And so should every American. So I don't talk about this a lot, but the fact is that I actually have a black belt in karate. And the reason I have a black belt in karate is because I just like to feel that I have a fighting chance no matter what happens. And that is also a good reason to subscribe to the Personal Defense Network, PDN. PDN is an educational community built by patriots. It provides vital, easy to understand real world tips, techniques and tactics for personal defense. The PDM team has the world's best instructors, and they've been delivering life-saving information to people like you for over 15 years. Uh, I've done the homework. I've gone on. I've looked at the site. It really is vast. It's vast. And you can go to myrightsmyhome.com slash Clavin, and they will give you a discount, just $3 for a full year subscription. The, the membership is usually uh, 69 bucks, but now it's just 3 bucks if you go to myrightsmyhome.com slash Clavin. You'll get access to hundreds of videos and classes. And once you become a member, I strongly recommend starting with their classes, What's Better for Home Defense and The Circle Drill. These classes make you feel like you're there with the trainer. So go to myrightsmyhome.com slash Clavin and the discount will automatically apply at checkout because you're a listener of mine. Their premium membership will be only 3 bucks in instead of 69 bucks for the year. PDN tells me this is one of the best deals ever, so go to MyRightsMyHome.com slash Clavin, and the discount will automatically apply at checkout if, if you know how to spell Clavin. The first rule of self-defense is K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's. So we have the mailbag coming up today. So if you have your problems, gather them around, gather them around you, kiss them on the head, tell them it's been nice knowing them, uh, but now they're going to be gone. 
because we'll solve them all. And I, I should say, as I was just going through the mailbag, I noticed uh, that there was a lot of anxiety about the election and what will happen if we lose. And to some degree, I, I share that anxiety. How can you not? How can you not share the anxiety when you're looking at people like Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Chuck Schumer, the, that combination of corruption and leftism? You know, the Nancy Pelosi would not be as far left if she didn't think that that's where the party was going. Chuck Schumer would say anything that would keep him in power. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, these are true socialist bad people uh, or or have philosophies that will turn them into bad people who will destroy the government and who have the whip hand as things are going forward. And the thing that's haunting me, and I think it's haunting all of us, is, you know, yesterday I had a great time wallowing in the leftist tears over uh, the appointment of uh, Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. And I thought the show was hilarious and I had a wonderful time and we were playing the Trump happiness montage. And at the end of the show, I sort of thought that may be the last time I get to play the Trump happiness montage because he may lose. And what what gets me about this is the confusion, the disparity between the polls and between what we are seeing with our own eyes where obviously the polls still show Biden ahead. They show him ahead a lot by a lot in some of the states. The polls are closing. Latest polls are saying no. Uh, you know, things are made, now Trump is edging ahead. It seems the same as 2016. We just don't know. But remember, 2016 was won by, uh, you know, a feather, just a, a, a little hair in some of those states. And 70 million people have voted already so far, which is more than half of the total of about 130 million people who voted all together in 2016. So a lot of people had already made up their minds and aren't going to be changed by events that are taking place now, whereas last time there was a big shift in the last couple of weeks of the election. And so it's really confusing because we're looking at our eyes. We're watching Joe Biden show up at one rally after another where there's like 10 people there. And then we're watching, you know, Trump descend in his helicopter into a vast valley of crowds cheering wildly for him. And I'm not obviously the only person to notice any of this. This is something that is really happening all over. And it, it's, it's kind of, how can I put it? It's kind of representative of something that, that is the fact that it's become almost impossible to tell reality, what's really happening in the hearts, minds, and lives of Americans and what we're being told and what is being, uh, what the lies we're being told. And this is affecting all of us. It's affecting all of our feelings about the election. We're feeling, you know, it's easy to fall into conspiracy theories because there is a conspiracy of silence, this conspiracy to, uh, of silence uh, against the Hunter Biden laptop that's clearly now been verified. I mean, it's, it's clearly uh, the stuff coming out of it is real. Uh, and they're just still covering it up. Uh, to Twitter, Jack Dorsey, with his weird uh, crazy man beard, was in the Senate today being questioned. He doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't care. He just lies. He just lies. And he will continue to lie and he'll continue to block information until the election is over and he feels he has it won. And so we don't know what to believe. We don't know whether to believe our own eyes or these polls. And it's easy to shrug the polls off, except that they have been right in the past. We were shrugging them off. If you don't remember this, this is true. We were shrugging them off during Obama's second run for a second term, and they were true, and Obama won. And they create this, this feeling, this sense that we are being gamed and we just don't know what reality is. And it feeds into this meme, for instance, that the election is going to be rigged. I mean, that comes up every year, but it gets worse and worse as the media gets more and more dishonest. Uh, so let me just talk about this. I, you know, I, what, all I want to do is talk about it, air it, 
air the anxiety and just say what I see in front of me and what I think. I'm, I can't predict the future any more than you can, but it d- does seem to me to be an important point that we cannot tell reality from illusion anymore because of our dishonest media. You know, it, well, just to give you an example, Joe Biden was making a speech uh, just, I think this was yesterday, uh, and here's, here's what he said. This is cut nine. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Jill Biden's husband, and I am Kamala's running mate. <laughs> you all think I'm kidding, don't you? No, we don't think he's kidding at all. I mean, that's exactly the problem. We think he is dead serious. We do not think Joe Biden is Joe Biden. We think Joe Biden is Kamala Harris. We think Joe Biden is the left. And we have every good reason to think that. He's, he is, first of all, an empty shell of a man. He was always an empty shell of a man. None of none of the stuff that's coming out about him is new. I'll talk about that in a little bit. I'll talk about uh, Tucker Carlson and the interview he did with Tony Bobolinsky. But none of the stuff that's coming out about him is new. And the, and the gap between what we've seen what we're seeing and what is really happening has gotten wider and wider and wider really since the 80s, I would say, the 70s or 80s, when things really started to become dysfunctional in our country. You know, uh, Chris Caldwell, uh, Christopher Caldwell wrote this book, The Age of Entitlement, in which he kind of attacked Ronald Reagan. And he said Ronald Reagan and what he did was he he attempted to maintain the life that we had before the civil rights laws came into being. But the civil rights laws constituted first the destruction of our freedom of association because they meant that you couldn't hire who you wanted in your business. They, you couldn't have a club if you didn't happen to like black people, which was your right in the old days, even though it was an evil thing to do. It was your right to say, I, I want to associate only with people who look like me. That was something you could do. Now that's much harder to do. Uh, you can get sued for that. Your company can get sued for that. And it, so our rights were stripped away and that's in that sense. And of course, this massive movement by the in the great society, this massive redistribution of wealth from one section of society to another so- section of society. And because this is Caldwell's thesis, that because Reagan couldn't turn back the hands of time, he let the country go into debt. So what we've had essentially is 25, 30, e- even 35 years of prosperity in this country based on debt. And so what we're seeing now, we're seeing people come up with theories saying, oh, well, you just print the money. But that's, of course, ridiculous. So we're living in a world, a world of illusion. And now that bill is coming due and it's coming due in a lot of ways. And one of the ways it's coming due is that the the end of uh, the end, the beginning of civil rights legislation did do a lot, especially the civil rights law did do a lot to stop the what would now be called systemic racism that actually existed in those days and doesn't exist now. It was built into the government. There were actual laws keeping people from rising up and stepping on the necks of black Americans and keeping them down. And those laws were pushed away. And the people then who were willing to rise, who were willing to take hold of their own, take responsibility for their lives and take responsibility of the opportunity that was given them, take responsibility of the freedom of this country, rose. And so you had black people who in positions that they were never in before. I mean, I saw this with my own eyes. When I was a kid, there were no, not a lot of black people who were of my social class. And now there are plenty of them. And they were, you know, look, of course, they're bigots. Of course, they're jackasses all over the place. But largely, 
they're welcome. Who, who cares if the person with you is helping you make money or helping your society or babysitting your kids with their kids and your kids are friends with their kids? Who cares? You know, nobody cares. But it was clearly a problem for black people because a lot of black people were left behind. A lot of them bought in to the great society's uh, dependence features. You know, you can depend on us. You don't have to work. Here will be some welfare. We'll pay for your kids so you can have kids out of wedlock. And the black people who bought into that line, that part of the great society, were left behind. And so now you had black people who had risen up, who had done all the right things, who had worked hard, who had gotten education, is now part of society, feeling guilty. You know, there's a reason that guys like Barack Obama were the worst kind of racist. Colin Kaepernick were the worst kind of racist. Half black, half white people who were raised by white people, you know, they felt guilty. They felt guilty at assimilation. If I assimilate, if I assimilate in society, will I lose my soul? If I assimilate into this white neighborhood, am I no longer black? You know, you ain't black. That's why they, that's why the left keeps selling that line. And a lot of this, so a lot of this is, there's a kind of hysteria, a racial hysteria on both in both the cases of white liberals and blacks that is feeding into what's happening. There is a riot going on in Philadelphia. And the, the only thing about it, it's been going on for two days. The National Guard is there. Uh, and the only thing about it is how similar it is to all the other riots that have taken place all through the summer. A guy was shot. He had a knife in his hand. He was attacking the police. He was a black man. He was attacking the police. The police pulled gun on him. He said, put down the knife, put down the knife, put down the knife, and finally shot him. And now you're living in a Philadelphia that is out of control. I mean, according to their local channel, the Fox Channel uh, 29, Steve Keeley is a reporter there, and he says that officers are being basically commanded not to arrest the looters, just to disperse them. Uh, the Philadelphia has a leftist, one of these leftist DAs that George Soros has been implanting with his money throughout the country. Uh, he, Larry Krasner, his name is, and Krasner uh, has a plan to bring down crime in Philadelphia, by basically not prosecuting them, he does, you know, by prosecuting crimes less. Uh, and ha he has a favorite. Uh, this is Andy McCarthy writing about this. He says he has uh, he's homed in on a favorite pinata of the progressive prosecutor project, which is a Soros project, mandatory minimum sentencing provision. So, of course, you know, crime is out of control. And again, it's this disparity between reality and illusion. The reality is that the police are tough on black people because black people are committing the crimes. Black people are the people that are coming in contact as they start to, uh, as they fight against crime, but they've been fed this narrative of racism uh, that is no longer true. Systemic racism is no longer part of the country, but they've been fed this narrative. And look, we're all part of, we all get swept away in narratives, right and left. We all do. But this is this huge machine for doing this. I just want to play this clip of, um, uh, of a Blaze reporter, Elijah Schaefer, covering this riot, and he just got attacked and he went right back to work. Good for him. Uh, very courageous. Went right back to work with his face bleeding. This is cut 13. This is the riot in Philly. So as you can see, it's kind of hard for me to talk right now because I got jumped inside of a five below that's currently being uh, ransacked and completely looted. And you see to my left right here, this is an eye encounter store. We have an amazing uh, nail spa. And also right over here, there's a Walmart that's been completely gutted. We are here uh, across the river in Philadelphia, right by a Chick-fil-A. Uh, what happened was, is I just went into the five below to just see what was going on with some of the looting. And uh, I was jumped by the Black Lives Matter protesters who uh, immediately started punching and kicking me. Uh, one of them punched me directly right in the lip. I had to go to the hospital, I think, to get stitches. 
uh, in this slip because it's just absolutely painful. But this is what's happening in the current state over the killing of Walter Wallace Jr. the other night. Okay, so this this riot caused by illusions, and most of these riots are caused by illusions. It's very rare that you know that an actual innocent person is shot down. It happens. Uh, all all things happen. But Pennsylvania is a key battleground state. And here is the New York Times, a former newspaper, who is also nervous, by the way. They are dying. They want Joe Biden to win so bad. They want Trump to lose so bad. They, they can't contain it. And they're also nervous. They also don't know what's going on. And here's Sean McCreesh, a writer in, from Pennsylvania. And he says, polls show Mr. Biden leading by 5 to 13 points in Pennsylvania. But I grew up around here, and I'm dubious. This place, the land of hoagies and Bradley Cooper and Rocky Balboa worship and Tina Fey's Cousin Karen accent, has transmogrified into Trumplandia. He, he, and then talks about the people, just how much they love him. He says, pollsters say that suburban women are President Trump's kryptonite and that they've turned on him. At another Pennsylvania rally, he says, the president pleaded, suburban women, will you please like me? And he interviews a suburban woman who says, I feel like that's wrong. She's for women for Trump. She says, you know, there's a shock factor about the way he behaves for sure. But I think we know what to expect now. He's not a politician. And that's why he works for us. There's just this disparity between what we're seeing, what the polls are saying, what the press is reporting and what is really happening. Which brings me finally to this corruption story, this Hunter Biden corruption story. And I want to be careful about this because the right is going nuts about this on Twitter. Tucker Carlson had this guy, Tony Bobulinski. You want to congratulate Tucker on his scoop, but it's only a scoop because no one else will talk to Bobulinski. This is this businessman. This is this businessman who was brought in by the Biden family to help run a business that would basically connect them with a massive Chinese corporation to set up vague deals, right? We, we're not even sure it's what happened. This fell through. So it never happened. So you can't say like there's a crime committed necessarily. Uh, but it was it was it's pretty dirty. And so Twitter lights up and people are saying, oh, you know, Joe Biden, this is treason and it's criminal and Joe Biden lock him up and all this. stuff. And I, I'm thinking, you know, that that's nonsense. It's a reaction. It's our reaction to the fact that we're being lied to. We're so annoyed at being lied. You know, it's gotten so bad we're being lied to that even this is going to be hard to believe. Even Donald Trump has begun to attack his opponents. I mean, I know you're thinking Trump, Trump the, the kindest, gentle, that kind, gentle. But but here he is, Donald Trump, reluctantly, reluctantly overcoming his shyness to attack Joe Biden on the issue of corruption. I really don't want to be talking about an opponent in a negative way. Hard to believe it's me talking, but that's true. But Joe Biden and the whole family, there's such corruption. It's so obvious. He would go to a place, whether it's China or Ukraine or any place, Russia, you take a look at what he's done. And his son was like a human vacuum cleaner. They take out millions and millions and millions of dollars. And in some cases, it was like immediate. And in some cases, Joe was vice president in many cases when this was all happening. The son had nothing, didn't do well, wasn't successful. And for that, I feel very badly. And I don't even want to mention it, actually. But as soon as <laughs> Joe became vice president, all of a sudden his money started flowing into the family. And it's no good. I, 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 
I'm just shocked that a gentle pussycat like Donald Trump would actually put out a negative ad against his opponent. Uh, that's how bad things have gotten. So, all right, let's let's take a look at this. Uh, Tony Bobolinsky talking to Tucker. Uh, you know, he says that he was brought in. Remember, these guys weren't businessmen. They're just, they're just <laughs> influence peddlers. They're just influence peddlers. So they brought in this guy as a responsible, actual businessman. How are we going to set this up? And he says that, that this talk started while Joe Biden was still vice president. But after he was vice president, Joe Biden actually met with him in Beverly Hills to vet him. Uh, this is cut two. I didn't request to meet with Joe. They requested that I meet with Joe. And, uh, you know, he's putting his um, and Hunter says this in writing. It was uh, referenced multiple times. Uh, they were putting their entire family legacy on the line. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were dealing with a Chinese owned, you know, uh, enterprise uh, run by Chairman Yi, CFC, that had strong financial support and political support from the Chinese Communist Party. That's how it was presented to me. That's not my own words. That's how they presented it to me and read me in on it. So so he's actually sitting there meeting with Biden and they have this long conversation. And he and he said Biden didn't know what the business was about. He knew the outlines of it. He knew all about that. But but he didn't you know, he wasn't into the details. He he wasn't the actual businessman. He was a name. He was the name that they were selling to the Chinese. We know Joe Biden. We can get this stuff done. And and as far as Bobolinsky knew, Biden was going to get a cut. Uh, this was this thing where 10% of this was going from H, Hunter, to the big guy. This is cut three. I want to simplify this for the American people as much as I can. On May 13th, that email was sent from James Gillier to me. I didn't generate that email. James Gillier generated that email. And in that email, James Gillier goes through intimate detail of what each individual's requests were from a compensation perspective and how the equity in the enterprise would be divvied up. Very important, May 13th, that email was generated by somebody else to me. In that email, there's a statement where they go through the equity, Jim Biden's referenced as you know 10%, doesn't say Biden, it says Jim, and then it has 10% for the big guy held by H. I a thousand percent sit here and know that the big guy is referencing Joe Biden. All right. Now, this is where I guess you can call it. It's corruption. It's, it's venality. Let's call it venality, because I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is illegal, but this is the problem when you get statements like this. Joe Biden on China. Now, before I play this, just remember, this is as Trump is fighting China, saying they took our jobs. This is the reason you voted for Trump, because you're out there in the middle of the country. Your job is gone. Your factories are rusted and, and you're looking at China doing slave labor to create cheaper iPhones for people richer than you, for elites. And your job is gone. And, every, and everybody, including the right, by the way, including the capitalist Ayn Rand right is going isn't it wonderful? It's free trade. Free trade brings everything down. And yes, you know, you have no meaning in your life because you have no job and you're taking opiates and you're dying at 32. But think of the money you save when you go out to buy an iPhone. I mean, this is really the right was making this argument, too. And Trump said, no, hey, no, free trade is great, but it's got to be fair. I'm going after China. And this is what Joe Biden was saying. This is cut 14. China is going to eat our lunch. Come on, man. They can't even figure out how to deal with the, 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 the fact that they have this great division between the China Sea and the mountains in the east, I mean, in the west. They can't figure out how they're going to deal with the corruption that exists within the system. I mean, I, you know, 
they're not bad folks, folks. But guess what? They're not a they're, they're not they're competition for us. So you start to wonder, well, is he saying that to make this deal go? You know, you don't know. I, I have no idea. I have no proof of that. But it's not like, you know, the New York Times keeps saying there's no evidence. Well, yes, there is. There is evidence. I mean, in Bobolinsky, Bobolinsky's evidence. He's a guy you're looking at him. He's obviously not some kind of grifter. He's like a, an actual business guy trying to who got into this thing and didn't like what, the way it went. And now he's complaining about it. And I'll tell you why in, the, in a minute. But first, he says he went to them. He went to the Bidens. He went to the business people. And he said, you know, the. the there, there are laws meant to keep this kind of the regulations meant to keep this influence peddling from happening. And he knows this because he was a naval officer with very high security clearance is cut four. Remember, I'm the son of a naval officer. I'm a naval officer, was a naval officer myself. And because I held a Q clearance, which is the equivalent of a top secret clearance, um, we're audited every year. So um, if you receive a gift, I think the, the barrier was $25. Anything larger than $25, we had to disclose it to the government because obviously anybody with the clearance, the government is watching closely that they're not influenced by the Russians, the Iranians, the Chinese and stuff like that. So as I was listening to Jim walk through this, um, I have a big heart. If you talk to anybody who knows me, they would uh, they, they would weigh in on that. Um, I'm a kind person, and um, I'm thinking about the Biden family. Like, how are they doing this? I know Joe decided not to run in 2016, but what if he ran in the future? Aren't they taking political risk or headline risk? And I remember looking at Jim Biden and saying, "How are you guys getting away with this? Like, aren't you concerned?" And he sort of he looked at me and he laughed a little bit and said, uh, plausible deniability. <laughs> plausible deniability. In other words, we'll just say, well, you know, he didn't make those statements, uh, you know, for the Chinese in favor of the Chinese. It's how are you going to prove that, especially when you've got Twitter stomping on anybody who tries to tell anything? They've still cut the New York Post out of their sight uh, when you have the New York Times burying it, when you have all these people, you know, I mean, even even Ross Douthat at The New York Times, one of the few sane, sensible columnists at The New York Times is saying, you know, this is really beginning to look very bad. This doesn't it wasn't right when they decided to do it in the first place. And now this stuff has been verified way beyond the point of any Russian, uh, you know, of any hoax from the Hillary Clinton camp against Donald Trump about Donald Trump being a Russian collaborator. So all of that is gone. So now. Adam Schiff, who I've been telling you now for, it's been years. I mean, it really has been since the Trump presidency began. Adam Schiff is my congressman. He is the congressman of my district. And I've been telling you that the guy is a Joe McCarthyite. He is a stone McCarthyite. He will just get out and say any damn thing that will shut up the opposition. And so he comes out and he says, well, this is Russian. This is Russian disinformation, which there's no evidence of this at all. There's no zero. You want to talk about something there's no evidence of. There's zero evidence that this is Russian disinformation. And so Adam Schiff gets out and says this. And this guy, you know, Bob Alinsky is a patriot. He's from a military family. And he calls up Rob Walker, who's one of the Biden contact people in this business deal. And he says, look, you can't say you can't say that I'm part of Russian disinformation. That, I'm not going to stand for that. That's disgusting. You have got to do something about it. And what he meant was, he said, you know, you've got to go and tell Joe Biden to tell Adam Schiff to knock this off. And if you don't, I'm going to go public. And he played a clip from that phone call, very, just a very brief clip. This is cut six. If he doesn't come out on record... I am uh, providing the fact... Tony, you're just going to just bury all of us, man. 
You're going to bury all of us. So that's, you know, that's knowledge of guilt. That is a knowledge that something is not quite right about this. And again, I don't know how the laws would cover this. It does, you know, that's not the point. This is venality. You know, he said, and you're bury, going to bury us all. The fact that Joe Biden is lying, the fact that he's lying about it is evidence of corruption. Now, is this going to affect the vote at all? Probably not. Not much. I mean, the Trump campaign is saying, well, it's not our closing argument. It's just part of our argument that this is who this guy is. In other words, they're not making it their lead argument. That's the economy. That's the flu. It's all those things. But this is part of the argument. And and that's fine. But I think that because we live in this world of disinformation, we react too. We talk about the fact that leftism is all feelings, but we have feelings too about the fact that we've been mistreated and the fact that we have been, we, this entire culture where all the comedians, all the movies, all the news shows, all the academies depict us as the bad guys when all we're trying to do is fight for the Constitution and fight for our traditional freedoms and fight for the purpose that the country was made. That, too, is making us crazy where when we're lied to, we we keep saying, look, look, look. The answer to this, though, is not look, look, look. The answer to this is not to fight back at this level of hysteria. The answer is for us to build a culture of our own. And if we lose on Tuesday, if we lose this election, uh, as the polls tell us we will, It will be because we didn't do that. Trump has tried to do it, but he can't do it alone and he can't do it because of his personality. We have to do that. We have to take back that culture. And if we don't start doing it now, yesterday, three weeks, four years ago, we'll never win again. We'll never win again. The disparity between reality and uh, illusion is growing and the country will fall into that gap eventually if we don't fix it. Now, as you know, I'm very loyal and I don't like to run down my staff just because they're a bunch of incompetent drug dealing criminals. But if I had used ZipRecruiter, just imagine how much <laughs> this show would be. If you're having a hard time you know, hearing my voice, that's because my staff keeps pressing the jammer button. But <laughs> you're a lying dog face pony soldier. <laughs> see, see, if I use ZipRecruiter, things like that wouldn't happen. It is election time, and whether you've already voted or you still need to vote, it's our country's chance to choose the best candidate for president, VP, and hundreds in Congress. That's a lot of jobs to fill, so you don't want to have to worry about filling a job at your business. Use ZipRecruiter. They do the work for you, and right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. If they could make the price any lower, they would, but it's free. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 uh, job sites with just one click, and then ZipRecruiter looks for the best candidate. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin, ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin, and you can try it for free. You may be stressed out about the election, but you won't be stressed about hiring when you try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. It's the smartest way to hire if, and only if, you know how to spell Clavin. All right. The presidential election is almost here. Really? Who knew? We have an amazing day of programming for you. Our live stream starts on Tuesday, November 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific, featuring special guests, live interviews and more leading up to a very special episode of Backstage, where we will be covering the results with you in real time. So we'll be on the air uh, from Tuesday through January 21st when the (laughs) final vote comes in. 
You get all kinds of good things if you subscribe. Plus, you can get 25% off if you use code ELECTION. Code ELECTION. You can watch all our election coverage live on our Apple TV or Roku app for 25% off. So watch the election with us at dailywire.com and get 25% off your Daily Wire membership with code ELECTION when you sign up today. Mailbag coming up. Mailbag. Woo! You know the you know the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. You do know the thing, and here it is from uh, Daniel. Some of my Christian friends post about a movement called pro-life evangelicals for Biden, which argues that Joe Biden's policies, quote, Joe Biden's policies are more consistent with the biblically shaped ethic of life than those of Donald Trump. Poverty, lack of accessible health care services, smoking, racism, and climate change are all pro-life issues. The most common reason women give for abortion is the financial difficulty of another child. We appreciate a number of Democratic proposals that would significantly alleviate that financial burden. Accessible health services for all citizens, affordable child care, minimum wage that lifts workers out of poverty. The author of the letter says, I'm not sure how to respond. What proposals support this idea that Biden is the better choice of your pro-life? Is there any truth to this idea? There is zero percent truth to this idea. I, I can honestly say, I mean, I would I would say if I thought there was any truth to it, this is total garbage. It is totally hiding the fact from yourself that you are electing a person who now, even though in the old days he used to want to overturn Roe v. Wade, he blows with the wind and now he believes in abortion for, I think, the first five years of life. I think he's, no, it's abortion right up to the moment of birth that he's basically supporting at this point. And, and no, you can't stop abortion by aborting people. That is not the way this works. This whole idea of the root causes of things. You remember the back in the 70s, they used to talk about the root causes of crime and our cities devolved into crime-ridden jungles because it's not the root causes of crime. You can't stop the root causes of crime fast enough to stop the criminals. You've got to arrest the criminals and, you know, addressing poverty, it won't stop crime, but it would stop some violent crime if you uh, fight poverty. Of course, poverty is bad and bad things arise out of poverty, but that's not how you stop abortion. You stop abortion by understanding the fact that a baby is a living human being. When you kill it, you have killed a human being and you do not have the right to solve your problems that way. Whether your problem is fear, whether your problem is money, whether your problem is you wanted your kid to be born a Capricorn and he's going to be born a Taurus, it doesn't matter. Whether you wanted a girl and it's a boy, it doesn't matter. You can't kill people. Killing people who didn't do anything is wrong. You can't do it. And if we don't have that culture, if that's not what we're fighting for, you're never going to get there. Because what difference does it make, as Hillary Clinton might have said, what difference does it make if you are come out of poverty, but you still believe it's fine to have abortion. I know plenty of rich women who've had abortions. I do. I know plenty of rich women who've had abortions. Some of them because it just wasn't the right time and I wanted to have it this next year instead of this year. You know, once it becomes acceptable, once it is acceptable to have an abortion, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're poor or not. Obviously, that contributes on all for anything. I, this is even leaving aside the fact that I think Joe Biden will make poverty worse. I think socialist programs make poverty worse. They lock people into poverty. They make it impossible to tra traverse the distance between pro poverty and prosperity, which is what capitalism does, makes it possible to traverse that distance. But leaving all that out, 
No, no matter what, if you don't have a culture that proclaims the living right of a child in the womb to not be killed, the most simple right of all, the most important right of all, because without life, what are your other free, what do your other freedoms matter? If you don't proclaim that, you aren't getting anywhere. You aren't getting anywhere. This is a lie. It's they're lying to themselves, not just to other people. They're telling themselves that they're pro-life. They're not. Um, from, this is from Anonymous. It's, uh, I recently started dating one of my childhood friends. She's an amazing girl, and while I'm only 19 and still an idiot, I could see myself marrying her in the future. However, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder last year. I care for her deeply as a friend and now as a partner, but I do not know what I can or if I should do anything differently because of her disorder. Another factor to consider is that I have a family history of bipolar, which means that if we were to have kids, they would be at very high risk. Where is my responsibility in all of this? The last thing I want to do is accidentally cause her disorder to worsen. Thank you for your advice. P.S. I first seduced my girlfriend by walking up to her and saying, Rock Auto, it worked exactly as advertised. It does. It's really, this is like a miracle cure for uh, loneliness. Um, Okay. (laughs) There's a couple of things I want to say here. First, diagnoses now are really lousy. Uh, They're continually diagnosing people with diseases, with syndromes, uh, who are just sad. So, I'm going to, but I'm going to assume that this diagnosis is a good one. I'm going to speak to it as if it's a good one. If you've seen, you know, bipolar disorder is a very dramatic disease and can be, it can be really destructive. Um, And so uh, if you've seen evidence of that, then maybe that's what it is. Um, If not, maybe she's just sad about something else, but that's not something you can determine. It might be worth getting a second opinion. I'm just saying that I've seen a lot of bad diagnoses about this uh, and because they, psychiatry has become a, a, a drug deal, basically. Uh, but still, let's assume it's true. Let's assume she has bipolar disorder. You are walking into a world of trouble. If she has bipolar disorder, you are walking into a lifetime of trouble. And you have got, got to say to yourself, do can you live with this? 19, you're right. You're an idiot. If you're 19, you are an idiot. That is just built into the system. And so you've got to rise above your idiocy and start to ask yourself if you are ready for this for life and if you want your children to deal with this for life because you're not doing her any favors. You're not being kind to her, sticking with her if you're not going to stick all the way. And the thing is, it, it would be completely reasonable at 19 for you to say, you know what, this is not what I want my life to be. I mean, you know, it's completely reasonable. There's a certain amount of, of selfishness that is healthy going into a relationship. If you don't, you're not, you're not obligated to be in a relationship with this girl. You're not obligated to put your life into, into what is going to be, a tr- if it's true, it's going to be a genuinely huge problem in your life for you and for your children who are, you're going to love very much and who you're going to want to protect. And bipolar can be a really, really uh, destructive disease if that's what it really is. So you got to think about this really carefully. And I think you should not be thinking about it in terms of your moral responsibility because you're not being moral and you're not being responsible to stick with something that you do not want in your life, to make your life miserable because you thought you had some obligation to her uh, and you don't want to walk away and you can't confront the fact that you walked away. Confront it. Confront it and walk away if that's what you feel. And I hear that in your letter. I hear you talking about, uh, I have a family history bipolar and my kid would be at high risk. That's just making excuses. It's on you to say to yourself, look, this is something I don't want in my life forever. Remember, that's what marriage is. It's forever. If 
if you don't want it in your life, you are not being kind to her uh, by bringing her into what should be a forever relationship that's not going to be, and that's just going to be a misery to both of you. So you got to figure that out, but don't figure it out in terms of some kind of vague moral responsibility. Your responsibility is to, you know, you, you want a marriage that's going to be a happy marriage, and you want parents who are going to be happy parents, and if this isn't the girl for that because of things that she can't help, it's not your job to uh, sign on for misery uh, out of some vague moral sense of responsibility. I know it's hard, hard advice, but it's true. Um, of course, <laughs> you know, it's built into the contract. Um, from Walker, I know that when republics fall, which doesn't happen overnight, they don't fall into anarchy, but rather transformed into monarchies, autocracies. Now, uh, though the fall of the republic has been a recurring gag on your show, I am curious as to your actual thoughts on the matter. Given everything that has been occurring in the nation over the long term, such as the demise of our education system in the short term, such as open violence from groups like Antifa, do you think our republic is near its point of no return or even that we've already passed it? Thank you and love your show. It's the best on Daily Wire. Hashtag save the Clavin. Well, thank you. And of course, it's the best. On <laughs> I mean, look at the competition. Uh, so, so look, not, you know, you're asking me about the future and nothing is written about the future. You never know what, what will happen. What, what is true is that all things end, right? All living things die and a republic is a living thing. Freedom is a living thing and freedom comes and it goes. It has never lasted long in history. It has never lasted long in human history. 400 years seems to be about as far as you're going to get. So we haven't lasted that long. But we're in we're in what looks like late, uh, the late stages of a republic. Now, having said that, the late stages of a republic can go on for a hundred years. What's troubling to me now? What is troubling to me now is the logic of our elites that excludes the possibility of compromise. They keep saying to us, you know, Trump's not going to accept the outcome of the election. They haven't accepted the outcome of the last election. They haven't. They've developed a thesis that means it is impossible for them to lose legitimately. Every time they lose, they want to change the um, change the structure by which they lost the Electoral College, the Supreme Court, First Amendment. All those things go by the boards if they lose. And that's that's a very sick and dangerous position to be in. And it is where, for instance, in Rome, you started to get the kind of thing where it left people dead in the Senate. You know, it left people having uh, elite people having riots that made meant politicians got killed. If we can't get back to the idea that there are two sides, that the both sides have a right to speak, that there is some way we have to live together, uh, that we have to talk to one another. Because remember, I, on a guess, on a guess, I would say that 70 percent of Americans and I, this is a guess, but I would say that 70 percent, 70 percent of Americans agree with that, agree that we can get along, agree that we can talk to one another all across this country. There are Trump supporters whose neighbors are Biden supporters who are bare, bought borrowing cups of sugar from one another, babysitting one another's kids, going out on picnics together. That's happening all over. It's our elites who are trying to stop that. It is, it is, our, it is guys like you know, Chuck Todd and Brian Stelter and George Stephanopoulos. It's our corrupt elites. They are corrupt elites who are trying to stop this by lying to, to us about who the other person is. And that's making us angry because we're being lied about. It makes them angry because they're being lied to about who we are. It is shocking what happens, shocking what happens when liberals leftists walk into the Daily Wire and meet everybody and say, gee, everybody's so nice. Well, of course they are. You know, these, these are not hateful people. These are people who believe in freedom and believe that the systems that have been used to overcome 
certain civil rights problems that were problems may have caused other problems. That's like not a that's not an hysterical thing to think. Uh, it is when when people are at the New York Times, a former newspaper, are preaching communism, are preaching um, racism, are preaching that America is a bad, inherently racist country. It's not so crazy for people to say, hey, whoa, 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 let's back up a minute. You know, sure, there are problems, sure, there are things we can talk about, but let's back up and remember we have a really good thing going here. Let's not blow it uh, simply to solve our problems. Let's solve our problems while can, keeping our traditions and our freedoms. So my answer, my answer to you is I think we are at a, a late st- the things that we're going through are late stage republic. But there's a famous line, I think it's Adam Smith, uh, when when the Americans won the Battle of Saratoga, somebody said, a British person said to Adam Smith, we're ruined. And Smith said, there's a great deal of ruin in a nation, uh, meaning there's a long way to go before you fall apart. That is true right now. This country is worth fighting for. The country is worth fighting for, the culture is worth fighting for, and our friends on the left are worth reaching out to. They really are. I mean, we are all, we are all, that's what I've been trying to say today. We're all wrapped in this uh, narrative, uh, this illusion, this illusionary narrative that has been created by our elites, by our professors, our socialist professors in the college, by the socialist newsmen who come out and work in the corporations, by the corporations who are globalists and they want those socialists in there because that promotes globalism. They have created an illusion of, of things that are of, of a series of a narrative that is simply not true, that is causing our cities to burn, but more importantly, is causing us to be unable to talk to one another. If we reach out for one another, if we find ways to communicate, if we, the right, take back the culture, not for conservatism, but simply for truth, for honesty, if we do what the what Amy Coney Barrett wants to do in the Supreme Court and speak, not for her side, but for the side of the law, for the side of the Constitution, for the side of freedom, if we do that in our media, uh, then I think there's every chance this can be turned around. Nothing is written. Everything dies, but it doesn't have to die today. I always say this. We're going to lose the fight, but we don't have to lose it today. And if we don't lose it for enough days, then it falls to our children. And who cares about them? They're just costing us money. All right, I'm going to stop there. I'm out of time. But we will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's Thursday. So we will be back with The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. A whistleblower exposes deep corruption in the Biden family. Can I change my vote trends on Google and a wife becomes a lesbian to stay married to her transgender husband. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.